The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. One of my uh, favorite commercials is a commercial by Best Buy. It came out a few years ago. You may remember it's entitled The Outdated World. And uh, the reason why it's one of my favorite commercials is, is not only is it funny, but it's funny because it's true. You know, it, it's, it's a commentary on humanity, all right? And so there's so much relevance to it, it's, 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 very, it's very relevant. So um, I'll kind of walk you through it. it. It flips through different scenes. And it starts with uh, news anchors and talk show hosts holding up the newest gadget, the newest iPhone or the newest tablet or the newest computer, promoting the, the newest electronic item. And then it continues to flip through some scenes, and it gets to this man who's standing in front of a crowd at an auditorium with the black shirt on, holding up the new tablet, and he says, everything else is now obsolete. And the woman holding her new tablet says, I just got this. It's already obsolete. And then my favorite scene comes at the very end, where there's a father standing on the front porch of his house, proud and happy with his wife next to him, his kids frolicking in the yard as, as delivery men bring in this 3D TV. And he's so excited to have this 3D TV until he looks into the street and sees his neighbor is getting a 4D TV, right? It's such a great commentary on humanity. It's part of the Best Buy buyback program in which um, you buy the new things, and then as soon as the new new thing comes out, a month later, two months later, a day later, you can trade in your new old thing, get store credit, and get the new new thing, right? I, I confess, I mean, I can relate to this. I have an iPad too. Here it is right here. I love it. I think it's amazing until my wife got an iPad 3. And I was like, that has a better camera. It has Siri, which talks to you nicely. You know, like, that's what I want. And so there's, there's, there's this constant discontentment in humanity in which we are always searching for something that will satisfy, always searching for something that will fill the void in our life. And we're always looking to the next thing and the better thing and the best thing. We're always looking to upgrade to fill the emptiness of our hearts. That's exactly what was happening in the church in Colossae. If you would, please open up to Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 through 10 will be today. If you are in the Red Bible, it's page 984. If you're in the Children's Bible, it's page 1457. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. Lucas, can you help anyone that needs a Bible? Anyone need a Bible? We need one up here. Grab a few Red Bibles. There's some over there. There's some. Stephanie, you got them? Great. You can grab it and then go to Colossians chapter 2. Note to Chris, buy more Bibles. Good thing. The apostle Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and false teachers have infiltrated the church. And they have played on this human propensity of discontentment, of always wanting to upgrade. They said, yes, Jesus is good. The gospel is good. But don't you want Christianity 2.0? Don't you want a better version, a version that will take your faith to new extremes, one that will give you a new spiritual high? Don't you want something that will fully 
satisfy. So they came in with these false teachings, talking about the worship of angels and celebrating special days and going through severe self-denial just to get Christianity 2.0, just to upgrade from Jesus to the better Christianity. You know, the same thing is true of sin in our life. We think, you know what? Jesus is good. Jesus is great. Jesus is helpful. Jesus loves me, and I appreciate that. But I need something more. And so we pursue sinful things, thinking, you know what? This will finally satisfy. And Paul writes into that culture and into our culture to tell us why you can't go no further than Jesus. That Jesus is the beginning and the end of your faith. That he satisfies all of your longings and you might as well not look anyplace else because he has everything your soul needs and desires. If you're tempted, like me, every day to look places other than Christ for your satisfaction, for your salvation, this passage is written for you. Let's read Colossians 2. Verses 6 through 10. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to the human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him, being Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and all authority. Let's pray. Lord God, We come today confessing, Lord, that we chase after so many other gods, so many other saviors, so many other idols to satisfy our heart, Lord. We we forget so quickly how empty they are, how vain they are, how, how, how much they fail to give us the satisfaction we need. Remind us today of why Christ is all we need. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul starts in verse 8 with a very stern warning. He says, see to it. In other words, look out, keep watch, be on guard. There is a serious danger for the Colossians, and there's a serious danger for us today. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. You know, we live in an age of information where we're coming constantly bombarded with people's understanding of truth, right? We get it from the internet. We get it from radio. We get it from blogs. We get it walking down the road. We get it from newspaper. We get it from magazines. There's constant bombardment of information of people proclaiming to us what is true. So for example, the Best Buy commercial, right? What are they proclaiming? They're saying, you know what? Your life is not full until you have the newest gadget in your hand right? You turn on infomercials. What do they say? You will not be satisfied until you have a certain waistline. You read blogs. What do they tell you? They tell you that if you want to be accepted and if you want to be loved, you need to be intelligent. You need to be perfect. You need to be without error. 
And so you see truth is all around us. At least versions of truth are all around us. And the question is, how do we know what is true and is what, what is not true? Paul says here that there is false teaching all around us. And he calls it uh, philosophy. Now, this word philosophy, it's, it's probably not what you think of philosophy. When you think of philosophy, you probably think of that high school or college class that just taught you enough to be confused, just taught you enough to be scared, just taught you enough, you know, to be dangerous, right? When Paul's talking about philosophy, he's simply talking about the love and pursuit of wisdom and knowledge, okay? So there's good philosophy and there's bad philosophy. And Paul's going to tell us what makes bad philosophy, what makes false teaching, okay? And these are universal characteristics that applied then and apply today. And so I just want to walk through what he says are characteristics of false teaching. First off, false teaching is enslaving. Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive. No one takes you captive. To be taken captive, the image that comes to mind is actually pirates. That they would go on ship, that they would steal the cargo, and they would take it to themselves. And so what he's telling us is that when we believe false teachings, we're taken captive to it, and it enslaves our souls. Now, you may think, I'm not enslaved to anything. I'm a free person. I can do what I want. I, I, I can go where I want. I can start something, stop something whenever I want. To that, I just encourage you to think of, of your New Year's resolution. Maybe some of you kept it, but my guess is the majority of you ha- haven't. If you're like me, I can't even remember what my New Year's resolution was. We can't stop stuff because we are enslaved to it. It has power over us. False teaching, which leads to false practice, which leads to bad habits and sin, enslaves us to the sin. And so false teaching is enslaving. False teaching is also hollow. He says, see to it, verse 8, no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty or hollow deceit. In all of our hearts, there is a God-shaped hole. And all of us are seeking to fill it with various things, whether it be the newest technology, whether it be with, 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 uh, with business success, whether it be with romance, whatever it might be, we are trying to fill that God-shaped hole in our life. And what we find out is that when we stick it in there, it satisfies a little for a little bit, but then it falls through and it leaves us just as empty as we were before. I mean, how many times have you gone to the store, if you're like me, and you've gone to buy that one thing that will make everything in life easier? It will make your, your house cleaner or your schedule you know, tighter or whatever it might be. And you buy it and it's great and you enjoy it for a week or a month, but then soon it becomes obsolete to you. And you're just as empty as you were before you bought that item. And so what we see is false teaching is hollow. Finally, false teaching is satanic. Now, I know that is a strong word, satanic. It's not a word we throw around a lot, but it's true according to what scripture says. In this passage, Paul says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world. That's talking about Satan and the demons and not according to Christ. You know, teaching originates in two places. One place it originates is Satan. In John 8, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the religious rulers. All right. So you see, this happens even in religion. And Jesus says this to them, strong statement. You are of your father, the devil, 
You're of the father, your devil, and you, your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth, has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. The origin of lies is Satan. You know, I'm curious, what lies do you believe? What lies have been propagated either by media or by your own imagination? Lies of your value and your worth? Whatever it might be, those come, they start, they originate in Satan. And we see that what happens is Satan spins the truth, he perverts it, and he puts it into the hearts of men who buy into it, and then becomes part of human tradition. Let me give you an example from the religion realm, I guess you could say. Mormonism is a lie that is rampant. Mormon is not Christianity, no matter what they tell you. The Book of Mormon opposes the fundamental things of Scripture, such as the fall of mankind, Adam and Eve, the Trinity, atonement, end times, pretty big things. And yet they'll come around and tell you, we are a part of Christianity. Come join in and be with us. Do you know how Mormonism started? There was a man named Joseph Smith in 1827. I believe he was in the New York area. And an angel appeared to him. An angel appeared to him, he says, and revealed to him a location where the secret book was. And so the angel brought him to this location where he dug up this book and he opened it up and it was full of this old Egyptian uh, language. And so the angel sat there with Joseph Smith and helped him translate it into English so that a scribe could write it down. Now, as I look at this, I, I absolutely believe an angel appeared to him. I mean, I, ha- I have no doubt that's what he believed. I mean, we're actually told this in Scripture, in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. it says this, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. How did this religion start? Satan, dressed as an angel of light, appeared to this man, led him to this book. It ingrained into his heart. It influenced his teaching. It became tradition in men. And now it's propagated around the world. All lies start in Satan. False teaching originates there. But there's another teaching. There's the teaching of truth, which comes from Christ. The author of truth is God. Jesus is the word, the truth of God made flesh. And if the teaching is according to Christ, then we know that it is true. Again, verse 8 says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. How do we know if something's not true, if it doesn't line up with the teachings of Christ, if it doesn't line up with the teachings of God himself, who has a monopoly on truth. 
You know, as we look at this, I think one of our temptations is to isolate ourselves, to say, you know what, let's go live in a Christian neighborhood, send our kids to Christian school, homeschool. Let's, let's go ahead and just wipe out every movie and every song that isn't Christian in our house and just do Christian things. The hard part is there's lies even within there. <laughs> and what Paul doesn't call us to do is step out of culture, but to engage in culture with the truth of the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ, the love of God that we might influence and transform people who have been brought under deception. You know, one of the things about being fooled, by the way, do you all know what Tuesday is? April Fool's Day, right? So, so be on watch, okay? April Fool's Day is coming. One thing about being fooled is that you don't know you're fooled, right? Once you figure out the foolery, you're no longer fooled. People are fooled by falsehoods, by lies. And we get to bring the the freedom of the truth of God to them. And so we're called to engage culture with the truth. So so as we sit in in this marketplace of ideas and, and, and claims on truth floating around us, the question is this, how do we stand strong? How do we remain in the truth? Because to be honest, I'm deceived every day. I follow things that I know aren't true all the time or that I think are true and aren't true. And so how do we stay strong? How do we cling to the truth? How do we stay free in Christ? Paul's answer is this. Walk in Christ. Walk in Christ. Don't walk in the world. Don't walk in yourself. Don't walk in lies. Walk in Christ and you will be free from the captivity the bankruptcy, the hollowness, the enslaving lies that circulate in our world. So with the rest of our time, I want to look at two things. One, how we should walk in Christ. And secondly, why we should walk in Christ. Not, why not walk in some other belief system? Why Jesus? First, how should we walk in Christ? How should we live our life in a way that is not captivated by falsehoods, but captivated by by Jesus Christ. Well, first we should walk in Christ just as we received Christ. Verse 6 says this. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And so the question is, how did we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior? How did we do that? If you're here today, maybe you've never received Jesus, and this can be helpful for you to understand how you might receive this life and the freedom that's found only in Christ. Well, If you look straight at this passage, I think it gives us some indicators. It says we receive Jesus as the Christ, okay? Christ wasn't his last name, okay? It wasn't Jesus H. Christ, right? That's not his name. And and his, his name wasn't Lord. These are titles given to him that we identify who he is. And so what does it mean that Jesus is the Christ? Well, to to identify Jesus as the Christ means we believe Jesus is the Messiah that has been promised from, from the Garden of Eden. He's the one that was to come, that was to redeem all things, that was the Messiah, the anointed one, that was come and to be savior of his people. And so to receive Jesus as the Christ is to receive Jesus as the savior of the world and the savior of you. But before you get there, you have to know that you need a savior. You have to know that you are dead in your trespasses and sins. You have to know that the wages of sin is death. But the good news of God is that while we were still sinners, Christ 
died for us. Christ saved us. Christ rescued us. And so first, we, 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 we walk as we received him by remembering that Jesus is the Christ. He is our Savior. He is our Messiah. He took on our sinful rebellion and paid for it in full at the cross so that we not only receive Jesus as the Christ, but we rest in Jesus as the Christ. That there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we must receive him. As Christ, we must also continue to receive him as Lord. Lord is a term that I think some of us are, are somewhat familiar with. You hear Lord of the manor, right? That means someone who is in charge of the manor, who's in charge of those things. It's a person who is in a position of authority over everything in his domain. When we say Christ is Lord, we mean he is, he is in power over everything that is in his domain. And so we've looked through Colossians 1 that Christ is Lord over creation, that he created all things, that he sustains all things, that all things are for his purpose. We saw that Christ is Lord over his church, and we saw that Christ is Lord over redemption. And now Paul is reminding us that Christ is to be Lord over your life. He is to be Lord over your thoughts, over your actions, over your emotions? Is there anything in your life that you need to bring under the lordship of Jesus Christ? You know, everybody wants Jesus as their savior. I shouldn't say it. People want Jesus as their savior, but they don't want him as Lord. But you cannot have one without the other. He is your loving savior, but he is also your awesome Lord who commands you to walk in the truth, which is freedom, because he loves you and cares for you. You know, in sports, they always talk about Going back to the basics. And one of my favorite lines is from Vince Lombardi, who on the first day of practice would hold up a football and say, gentlemen, this is a football. And it was a reminder every year that we must start with the fundamentals, that you cannot leave the fundamentals, that the fundamentals are crucial for how you play the game. So it is with Christianity. Christ is the fundamental He is the foundation of our salvation. He is the foundation of our life. And to look anywhere else is grave error. So we must receive, we need need to walk in the Lord as we received him as Christ and as Lord. Secondly, we should walk in Christ, rooted and built up in Christ and established in the faith. Verse 6 says this, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught. This term rooted is a passive verb, meaning that it is something done to you. And so what it's telling us is that God and his love and mercy has rooted you in the soil of Christ, that he has brought you into union with Jesus Christ, that he's caused you to strike root with Christ. And as we soak up the riches of Christ, we grow like a tree. We grow tall, we bear Fruit. And so you see, just as a tree grows in directions, so are we to grow in two directions. We grow with our root structure down and out, but then we also grow up bearing fruit. A few summers ago, I was in my backyard, and there's a privacy fence between me and my neighbor, and uh, I hear this strange sound in his backyard. And so I look over the fence, and he has his little car with a rope tied to 
uh, I don't know what it was tied to. It was tied to something on the car. And then it was tied around this shrub, okay? And he decided, you know, I'm going to pull this shrub out of the ground. And so I hear him driving. I hear the wheels spinning. I see the grass kicking up. And I think, Mark, just wait. You know what? I got four-wheel drive. Let me come over. And I had a rodeo at the time. And, I mean, this was the whole purpose of owning a rodeo just for a moment like this, right? Such a time as this. This is why this now excuses me for getting 17 miles to the gallon because I get to help my neighbor pull the shrub out of his yard. And so I, I bring the rodeo over. I put it in four-wheel drive. I hook up the rope to the shrub, and I pull. And I pull. And I pull. Nothing. Finally, I decide, you know, I'm going to back up and just jerk at it and see if it, that will yank it out. And the rope broke, right? And so there you have two somewhat intelligent men, right? (laughs) Trying to get this shrub out of the ground, but we couldn't. Why? Because it was rooted. It had sucked up the nutrients of the soil and grown in its rootedness. God has rooted you in Christ, but he has called you to soak up the nutrients of his love, of his grace, of his personhood in you. God has given us the means of grace to grow in depth and height and fruit. He's given us his word. He's given us his church. He's given us the sacraments. He's given us prayer. Why? That we might grow in Christ, being nourished by Christ. That we might stand strong when the false teaching comes. God is the divine gardener who has buried us in Christ, graciously and mercifully, that we could soak up and absorb the rich nutrients of Christ's love and grace. So how should we walk in Christ? First, we should walk in Jesus as we receive Jesus as Savior and Lord. And secondly, we should walk in Christ, rooted and built up in Christ, which ends up in us being established in the faith, as Paul talks about. Finally, how should we walk in Christ? We should walk in Christ thankful to Christ. Verse 6 again, he says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. I don't know about you, but when I read that, when I read those terms like abounding in thanksgiving, I just think to myself, you know, this is optional. This isn't really, this is something you're supposed to do when life is going well. That's when you're supposed to abound in thanksgiving. But when we read elsewhere in scripture, we see that it's not optional at all. As a matter of fact, the will of God for you is that you would abound in thanksgiving. First Thessalonians 5.16 says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, Give thanks in all circumstance, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The will of God for Christ Jesus in you is that you would abound in thanksgiving. Now, why would Paul put it in this passage? How does this protect us from the false teaching that's out there? How does it keep us captivated with Christ? Well, let me explain it with an illustration. A few weeks ago, I met with a friend and he was telling me about some of the struggles his wife was having, just balancing everything in life and how he was getting frustrated with her and wasn't appreciating her like she, like he should and how she was getting discouraged. And so I asked him, I said, have you ever encouraged her? How do you encourage her? How do you tell her you are thankful for her? How do you show gratitude towards her? And he admitted, you know, I really don't do that. And I said, okay, well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go home. 
and encourage your wife genuinely, right? Not disingenuously, but genuinely where you see God has gifted her, encourage her in those ways. Tell her why you are thankful to God for her. And so we met two weeks later and I wanted to catch up, see if he did his homework. And I said, so how is that going? Are you, are you, are you encouraging your wife, telling her why you're thankful for her? He said, yeah, actually I've been doing that. And I said, well, does she seem encouraged by it? And he goes, you know, actually not really. And I thought, oh man, you know, fail. <laughs> it's a failed experiment. All right. We got to figure another game plan. And then he went on, he said, but, but this was still significant because what I found out is that as I sought out to genuinely thank God for my wife and her gifts and her talents and her abilities, what I found out is that my love for her grew. My heart softened towards her. My affection for her grew. See, gratitude isn't only... Gratitude, let me think of how I want to say this. Gratitude is not only a reflection of your relationship with God. It guards your relationship with God. Because when you are captivated with that one person, when you're captivated with Christ, you go nowhere else to seek a Savior. Because you know that all you have and all you need is found in this one man, Jesus Christ. And as we grow in our gratitude for him, as we think of how we can genuinely give thanks, abound in thanksgiving for what God has done for us in Christ, it will make our hearts content so that we seek no other teaching. And so we are to abound in thanksgiving giving. So we should walk in Christ as we receive Christ, build up and establish in Christ and abounding in thanksgiving. Finally, why should we walk in Christ? Why not walk in everything else the world has to offer? I mean, there's so many isms out there, you know, pluralism, hedonism, you know, Buddhism. There's so many isms out there. Why not walk in another ism? Why is Jesus superior to all those other things? Well, there's two reasons. The first is this. Because God dwells in Christ. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For, so this is an elaboration of verse 8. For in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily in this man jesus jehovah god the lord of all creations the one who dwelt in the tabernacle in the old testament who dwelt in the temple of god one who was revered one who was an awesome god who wiped out nations who rose up nations that god resides in christ christ is superior to every type of ism because he is god in the flesh. He is God and man, two distinct natures and one person for all eternity. But that's not where his superiority stops. It continues. Not only does God dwell in Christ, but Christ dwells in you. Christ dwells in those who trust in him for their salvation. Verse 9 says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who's the head of all rule and authority. Notice, if you trust in Christ, it does not say you will be filled with in him. It's that you have been filled. The word here for filled is, is a picture of a cup 
that is filled to the brim. You've probably seen cups filled to the brim where there's that, you know, that, that curvature over the top because it's filled all the way up. You don't get some of Jesus when you become a Christian and accumulate more as you go along. You get all of him. And he fills you with his love and his grace and his personhood through the Holy Spirit. If you are in Christ, you have an identity. You are a filled one. You're one who has been filled by the fullness of God in Christ Jesus through the Holy Spirit. You know, in a half an hour, we're going to eat. And we're going to eat well. Some of you, your stomachs are empty. You are hungry. And we're going to eat. And we're going to eat. And we're going to eat. Some of you will eat too much. And you will say, I am full, right? And you probably will not eat till Tuesday because you ate and you ate and you ate. The problem with food is, You get hungry again. See, I know that what happens is we go to these things. We'll go to, you know, eat here, go to a buffet, and we'll get in the car. And one of my kids will say, Dad, when can we have dessert? And I'll say, you're crazy. Aren't you full? Like you ate all of this good food and you want more? What are you thinking? Right? That's how foolish sin is. That's how foolish falling false teaching is. We have been made full in Christ, why would we consume anything else? Why would we pursue anything else? We have been made full by God himself, through Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And so if you have a temptation to chase after other things, to fill the void in your life, remember who Jesus is, God in the flesh. And remember who you are, the indwelt one. God is in you through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus fills us with his wisdom to guide us. Jesus fills us with his atonement to pardon us. Jesus fills us with his righteousness to justify us. Jesus fills us with his strength to empower us. And Jesus fills us with his love to satisfy us. All of God is in Christ and all of Christ is in us. Therefore, we are complete in him, filled in him, overflowing in him. How do we walk in Jesus, as we received him, rooted, built up, and established in him, abounding in thanksgiving. Why is Jesus who we should walk in? Because God dwells in Christ, and Christ dwells in us, and fills us up to the brim. Let me end with this. There's a story of, of a man named William Randolph Hearst. How many of you have heard of William Randolph Hearst? Just curious. Okay. I've never heard of him. Sorry. Um, I know, shame on me. He was one of the richest people in the 20th century. He lived till 1951. Um, At the height of his media career, he was worth over $500 million. And he built this enormous castle near St. Simeon, California. And it had more than 90,000 square feet. That's a large house. And uh, it took him 28 years to build this house. And one of the things he prized about it was the art collection. It 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 was kind of an art gallery. Now, he, one day he was reading through, I don't know if it was a magazine or a book or something, and he read about this one piece of art. And he said to himself, I must have this painting. I must have this painting. And so he took one of his curators. You know you're rich if you have curators, right? He took one of his curators, and he sent him across to Europe. And he said, go and find this painting and purchase it for me. 
And so the curator went to all the large cities in Europe, went to all of the art museums searching for this piece. And after he couldn't fire, find it, he, he wired back to his, his boss and he said, I, I can't find the painting. And he responded by saying, you must find it. You will find it. I will pay any price. I must have this piece of art. So the curator continued to look and look and look and look for this painting. Finally, he gave up. Gave up. And he came back to the house in California. And as he was walking through the warehouse of this great man, as he was going to tell him the disappointing news that he could not find the painting, sure enough, there it was, right in the warehouse. The painting was already his. It was stored in his warehouse. This multi-millionaire had been searching all over the world for a treasure he had already possessed. We look at this man, we say, how foolish. How foolish is this man? But don't we do it every time when we look outside of Christ to find our treasure, to find our hope, to find our fulfillment? If you are in Christ, Christ is in you. And you already possess the greatest treasure this world has ever known. It is in the warehouse of your soul. You need look no place else. This treasure belongs to you. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for giving us this great treasure of Christ, that you have caused him to strike root in our hearts, that you have united us to him through your Holy Spirit, that we belong to him and that he belongs to us, that we are in Christ and Christ is in us. So many glorious mysteries. Thank you, God, for how good you are to us, for how gracious you are, Lord, to give us these things. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.